Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Well, look at you. You made it. You made it to scriptshopshow.com to listen to this episode of Script Shop. Hi, everybody. My name is Jack, and I oftentimes struggle dressing like an adult. Mm. For the record, Jack is wearing an elf t-shirt. As in Will Ferrell's Christmas classic elf. Elf, and it is July 8th, and he has a Christmas t-shirt on, which even though this is the first time the two of us have brought this t-shirt up, Mm -hmm. I have been looking at it, noticing... That it is a seasonally inappropriate T-shirt. Okay, first of all, you be wearing. First of all, Christmas in July is very much a thing. Yeah, I guess if you're like trying to get rid of all your back stock at Walmart or something, it's, well, whatever. Christmas in July, buy all the things. Buy the things. It's not so to me. The whole dressing as a child thing today that I'm specifically referencing because of this outfit that I have on isn't so oh, much. You did it for me, didn't you? And for our festival, because you have to wear. Well, red. I wanted to wear red. That was part of it too. Okay, but good. also like this shirt is like a size too big, and like the elevator Comfy. that I took up here is like there's a mirror in it, and like all I could do was like stand in that elevator and look at myself wearing cargo shorts and like a shirt that's one size too big and just mm. feeling like a 12 year old yeah is that an okay thing or you're like no it's something that i struggle with all the, all time. the time i hate it you try to elevate past the 12 year old self yeah i try to and to varying degrees of success mm-hmm. remember you have like a, you have one really good plaid <laughs> shirt. Yes, it's like the blue one i yeah. think and you wear it open that one's really really nice thank you i need to get more shirts like that that one's really great and this is allison by the way i am married so i'm used to picking on men mm-hmm. and uh <laughs> fair enough and i do love jack so that's part of the reason why i do it too so if i ever if i'm ever picking on you and you don't like it let me know well it's fine i brought it up i brought up the fact that i'm uncomfortable with my current look but that's why i got into radio in the first place but, right? <laughs> that's hilarious but the thing is is that i feel like if i said that to you like oh gosh jack i'm just really uncomfortable with how i look you would be completely supportive, and I would, that's I'd just say not the take. I you take look totally you. fine. Yes, and thank you. I would be like, you have nothing to worry about, and everything's good. You're so sweet, <laughs> and well, I'm the asshole. I set myself up to look better in that comparison. In all fairness, hi everybody. In addition to self criticism and self wallowing in 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 our dislike of our appearances, the way it's in our head versus the way everybody else interprets it. Yes, we talk about scripts on this show. <laughs> we talk about a lot of things because, in terms of art and script writing and screenwriting. All sorts of things wind up in people's scripts. And what we've noticed is that these things are usually very, very, very specific to who this person is. And we want to know why, why this thing came out of them and why it is so important and why it means a lot to this writer particularly. And today on the show, we have a writer named Heighton Davidson with her short script, Call of the Void, Mm -hmm. a 35-page like sci-fi thriller Ghost story. Ghost story. Story of revenge. Yeah. Now, are you familiar? So, The Call of the Void no. is very much a thing. You're not familiar with no, Lapel David? No. Tell me. Um, they explain it hold on. pretty easily. Let's just say all of our business real quick. Okay. As in, like, just check us out online. Yes. Scriptshopshow.com, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, Twitter. 
Wow, you're really hitting all of us there. <laughs> I mix these two up. Here we go. If you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, if you're on Instagram, you should look us up, Script Shop Show, and you can find our various pages there when it comes to doing that. And then also, in addition, yes. if you do go More online, <laughs> <and> other <laughs> forms of internet, which include uh, original recipe internet, scriptshopshow.com uh, slash scripts, if you want to read the scripts that we have there for you, uh, slash submit, if you have written something and you want to submit it to us. And other ways that you can interact with us when it comes to the tubes would be on things like iTunes, leaving us a review. Uh, any sort of star rating system would be appreciated, five stars. I'm sure. Yeah, obviously. For our fashion choices, five obviously. stars. Um, please come see this independent film festival. Why am I not talking very well? I need to, like, warm up my mouth. Mm-hmm. Please come see the independent film festival. <laughs> Don't give me that look. Keep, just keep going. <laughs> August 23rd, 24th, 25th, 2018 in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're going to be there. We're going to be partying with all of our filmmaker friends and we want you to be one of them. So please come to the Independent Film Festival. Tickets are on sale now. Sindependentfilmfest.org. Sindependentfilmfest.org. What is the other thing we usually say in terms of our Patreon? Uh, yes, you can. If if you're if you're impressed with the way we've handled ourselves so far, <laughs> why wouldn't you be? Uh, and you're interested in potentially supporting donating us donating money to the show so <laughs> we could keep doing great intros like this one, right? And really you, blowing your minds. Yeah, go to Patreon.com and look up Script Shop Show. There's a couple of fun perks there for every little buck, and so. We'll yeah, do some fun things in return. And we have ideas with what we want to do with this show, too. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a couple things that I want to do that we may take a, a nickel or two. Right. And if we had, if uh, if we could fund the show a little bit more, we'd have more time to work on it. We could mm-hmm. do all these fun things. And you know what, people? The sky is really the limit when it comes to dreams. Mm. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Just, we'll let you chew on that. Uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, what are you... Uh, what am I watching? What is your brain chewing on visually lately? Oh, my brain. My, <laughs> I was going to say my brain cud, mm, <laughs> which okay. I just said, but it was funnier in my head before I said it. So my brain cud lately, I just started watching Rick and Morty. Oh, you yeah. finally, who, did your husband finally pressure you into giving it a fair shake? Well, here's the thing is that because now... Somebody has been kind enough to share his Hulu account with us. Oh, okay. Somebody that is somebody. So now that we have Hulu, we um, have been catching up on some of our favorite shows. And Philip was like, let's watch Rick and Morty. It's a hilarious cartoon. And I love cartoons. And um, but you were kind of grossed out by it at first. We used to, I used to, when we went yeah, for dinner, and like uh, Phil and I would start uh, making references uh, to it, uh, and like I'd hear you in the other room be like, "That show's gross. I'm not interested." And uh, we're like, "Oh, that sucks," because it's a really great show. Well, there are some things that I can't handle, like guts and stuff. And okay. the fact that the main character burps all the time is mm-hmm. always a thing for me. Like, I'm just, why is that necessary? I don't okay. get that yet. But I just watched the Get Swifty episode, and I could not stop. Laughing. Show us and, what you got. <laughs> and he's like, get swifty. Mm-hmm. And he's got those lanky legs, bad rapping, get swifty. I'm dancing here in the studio, by the way. Yeah. And I watched it with Philip, his brother, and two of my sister-in-laws. And they both looked at me like, I actually want to know why you think this is funny. Because mm-hmm. they didn't think it was funny at all. They weren't into it. And I was dying laughing. The whole get swifty and the heads and the thing. That is so Funny. Rick and Morty is if you get if you let yourself get tripped up on some of the the, the detail parts of it, like the some burps. of the gross out stuff and the belching, it's easy to to let it take you away from the fact that it's brilliantly written sci fi 
fantastically developed characters that grow every episode and things that happen to them. You get like actual insight into these characters, and it's because and because. Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon are mad geniuses who are mixing their work together now, and it's... It's great. It's fantastic. It's so, so good. I also like that the dad character on there is such a good guy who just wants to love his wife and his family, and they all hate him. Mm-hmm. That Nobody has time for him. That's all... No, they don't... He's gross. Well, and there's growth there, too, as you'll see the way things <laughs> progress throughout the show. Exciting. What about you? What's your brain cut? I just watched last night, uh, there was a movie that Hulu had that I wanted to check out that uh, it, it promoted for me. I, it was in one of the commercial breaks, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. It's a movie that Woody Harrelson did from 2017. It's just from last year. It's called Lost in London, mm-hmm. and it's it's his film directorial and writing debut, and it's he's telling the story about a thing that happened to him like 15 years ago. Uh, and I remember little bits about this. It's in London, and he gets arrested after sort of running from the cops. The movie itself is just about a terrible night that he has mm. that involves him really upsetting his wife and then mm. running afoul of some people and then running afoul of the cops, and he ends up in jail at the end of the night. And there's a couple things where I was like, geez, that seems really familiar to me. And it's about how this there was this night in London in 2002 where he had a really bad night. He might have had a few drinks and then upset this cab driver and ended up kind of getting arrested. And the movie's a little more fictionalized version of it, but it's also the, the gimmick of it kind of is that it's all told in one take. Damn. And it's him. I mean, it's. I think that they cut away a few times, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure on yeah. that because they they shoot it over the course of a night, and it's it's it, it's him finishing wow. up this play and then going to a restaurant to meet up with his wife and then going out with these guys and running into Owen Wilson. And if it if it is not just one take, it's like eight really long scenes that have been stitched together very, seamlessly, ooh, and it's all man. one camera at the very least. I love the idea of that because there has to be, of course, different. It's like real life. They're just they're literally playing a game in real life yes. at that point that this person has to be here at that this point. Yeah. And I'm sure the experience of going through that, like all the discovery is the storyline discovery, but at the same time, it's this the discovery that it's actually working. Like, oh, what was it where he's supposed to be at this time? And there's a couple parts. There's a couple things that happen where it, it makes you stop and you like, like, how the heck did they do that? If this has all been at the very least, like I said, all one long, say, 20 minute take for this one scene, a thing will happen. And you're like, well, how did they set that up ahead? Like of time? what? There's one part where he's in the bathroom with this gal and he has a very specific physical reaction to something. And I have no idea how they did it. Really? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to tease it out there. It's really worth checking out. Uh, Lost in London. Woody mm. Harrelson. I, it, it's on. It's streaming on Hulu right now as, mm. as we speak here in early to mid July. Does he have a boner? No. Does it, he, it, it's not sexual. They could. Does Does he throw up? He gets sick. Okay. I was just going to keep going. And it's so cool how they do it. That's just one of a few things. It's a cool flick. I it's think like you should check magic. it out. It's magic. You have to watch for him to throw a pill in his mouth that makes him vomit or something. Yeah, right. Or take a, like a, a shot of liquid when you're... I, I don't know how they did it because it yep. took me so by surprise. Yes. Okay. Very cool. I will check this out. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. Thank you for asking. So now we have Hyten Davidson on We the should show. probably bring Hyten on, who wrote a script for us called Call of the Void. Let me call into the void right now. <laughs> it's all about the, the segues today. Here. And see if Hyten is there with us. Hello, Hyten. Are you there? I'm here. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, Our pleasure. Where are you calling us from today, Hyten? I'm calling from 
Chicago this evening. Chi-town. Chicago, one time zone behind us, which is very cool for yes. Chicagoans. It and in the past of you all. Yes, yeah. that's right, you little sci-fi mm. mistress. <laughs> She's dealing with time zones in our head. Mm. Yes. That's great. So what do you do in Chicago? Um, I act, I write, I uh, live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. That sounds, you know how people have things that say live, laugh, love? Or like the eat, pray, love stuff? Yeah, you yeah. should have one that says Act, write, live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but just, also eat. And, and also eat. eat. Yeah. Well, that sounds good too. Um, <laughs> how long have you been in Chicago? Um, that's a very interesting question. I've sort of been uh, a year technically, but I've been bouncing um, between Chicago and New York a little bit. Um, but now I'm like finally for sure living in Chicago. <laughs> well, what, what, I mean, what's determining all these things? Like, where did you come from before um, Chicago? What about yeah, this bouncing back I, and forth? Uh, I used to live in New York um, and then just had connections back there. And I was, um, I've been filming a recurring role in a TV show back in New York. And I had a, a short play that was in the New York, New York's theater festival last fall. So just sort of a mirage, menagerie mm-hmm. of uh, little gigs to go back to. Nice. That sounds nice. Did you grow up in New York? And what part of New York are we talking about? I grew up mostly in Virginia, um, and uh, then I went to, like, an acting conservatory in Connecticut. Uh, I went to, like, an acting conservatory in Connecticut and then just kind of trickled down to New York after graduation. That's cool. What is it that made you finally settle on Chicago? Um, I It's a lot cheaper okay. <laughs> in New York, safer. Uh, there's just like a lot of creative opportunities here. I feel like uh, the creative scene is very cool. A lot of cool people uh, I've met so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so far I'm enjoying it. I will just do this shout out to our Chicagoans, but we've had a lot of Chicagoans on this show. Yes, we have. Um, we've had mm-hmm. Josh Hope and Sean Patrick yeah, Leonard. I'm, uh, what? I'm reading other screenplays for Josh Hope this Friday at the Windy City. Yay! Hey, all right. Yes! This is awesome because this is completely random, actually. No kidding. Yeah. Because yeah, Hayden came to us from from Film Freeway, and I don't know anything about her other than what I'm about to learn, Hayden, so that's very awesome. Mm. <laughs> wow, small world. Well, please tell Josh and Mindy and Sean and Chris, and maybe Muse if he's there, he comes down sometimes. Just, you know, just tell them that Allison and Jack in Cincinnati say hi. Yeah, for sure. Please. Yeah, will do. I'll tell all of them all of that stuff. Thank you. So are you you're you're full time writing and acting? Um, yeah, it, I don't know. Is anyone ever full time writing or acting or anything? I no. feel like I just kind of juggle a lot of stuff, but um like this morning I did a costume character event, so I kind of just pick up a bunch of gigs to keep afloat and then a little bit of acting stuff, a little bit of writing things and uh yeah, keeps me going. Mhm. Well, it sounds like you're you're doing the hustle. You know, you're living yeah. the dream here. Yes, doing the hustle. How do you feel about it? Uh, I love it. Yeah, there I mean, go. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, that kind of life works for me, and so far, it's kind of I haven't died yet, so I guess. <laughs> so, like all through uh, childhood, high school, uh, being involved in the arts and or performance was always sort of a thing for you. Yeah, I guess so. I did always want to be an actor. Um, 
my dad took me to a production of Richard III in D.C. when I was a kid, and it was still to this day the coolest performance I've ever seen. And since then, I uh, have always wanted to act. So growing up in Virginia, yeah, it was all acting mostly. Um, And then in college, obviously, it was was very much acting uh, 24-7. And it's only been um, the last year that I've uh, also added in pursuing writing too. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Like what has really pushed you into start writing, especially as a performer? What's gotten you there? Yeah, um it was about a year ago, uh as you all can imagine, of course, the acting world, it's it's frustrating. It's a lot of like waiting around in your room, like twiddling your thumbs, hoping something good would happen. So, I just kind of started writing to like twiddle my thumbs onto a keyboard and like make something happen. And I was going through like a big kind of transition in my life. And uh, I did, I picked up The Artist's Way, which is uh, a workbook by Julia Cameron. Anyone, artist, non-artist, should do this thing called The Artist's Way. It just helps you clarify your priorities in life and your focus in on um, what you're good at and what you don't think you're good at but might actually be good at. So it was through that that I thought I would try writing and then I... Uh, just kind of I wrote a play and sent it off and um, it got like a stage reading here and then went to New York and got good feedback there so I thought oh maybe I could keep doing this so I've um, had two other plays in uh, play festivals and then I've written some scripts that have uh, gotten into some film festivals and I I had a play that uh, was performed in March and uh, this great director guy by the name of Tommy Martin came and saw it, and he said uh, he thought it would make a good short film. So we just uh, were in post-production for that, of transitioning that from a play to a short film. Wow, that's great. Uh, that's that's been, very cool. Oh, it's so much fun. It's, like, addicting <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to have your work put up, you know? So yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just a combination of um, frustration with my career and wanting to do more on a daily basis, and writing is just such a great outlet for that. And then also getting, like, some good feedback from what I was putting out (laughs) that kept me going. Yeah, like you do it, and then someone goes, good job. And you go, yes, I will do more of this. (laughs) I like that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I know that what we're going to talk about today is Call of the Void, but what I would would like to ask you a little bit more about the process of transitioning a play to a film. Mm -hmm. What was the most challenging thing about that for you? Um... Challenging was letting go of the performance that had just happened Hmm. and be willing to kind of start from scratch again. Um, Things that really worked in the rehearsal room for the play, it doesn't necessarily work in rehearsal for the film. Um, So it was just kind of like starting from scratch. We got uh, new actors. It was obviously a new uh, director and just, and of course, the new medium. Yeah, sure. Um, just being willing to kind of like forget about any decisions that you had made for the prior project and just like be willing to see what else could happen. Mm-hmm. That's were, go ahead, Jack. I, I was going to ask, were there like very specific changes that you had to make going from one medium to another? Well, it, so the, it's kind of funny because I think it 
well, I don't know. I think it might have always worked best as a short film. It was for a theater festival where the theme was social media. So it was very technology-based, which was a challenge for theater, but then is just so liberating when you can get to film and kind of have these, like, effects of, like, a Skype call and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it actually – we're editing it right now, so I don't want to jump the gun, but I think the final project, the final product is going to be – I think maybe how it always was meant to be done. Cool. Which is kind of cool. Did you yeah. act? Did you act in the stage version, and then are you acting in the film version? No, neither. Um, which is the, such a fun thing about being a writer is that I just get to write stuff, and then I don't have to do anything. <laughs> just sit, there and sit back and enjoy other people's work. But no, we got great actors for the uh, theater performance and great actors for the film performance too. So it's just been really cool to work solely as a writer. Yeah. Well, I also, I very much applaud you for um, focusing on that aspect of it because a lot of times I find like when I write, I also want to do it so that I can act. Mm. And so I think that there's a lot of value Mm. to come from focusing and I applaud you for your work Mm. as a screenwriter on that. What was it like having the, the the performances had to change, right? When you're on stage, even if you're not necessarily worried about projecting your voice to the back of the theater, there's still elements of maybe being a little more broad than when you have a camera in your face for a more dramatic scene. How did the performances and the way the characters uh, played out have to change? Sure, yeah, and... Um... You know, for the theater performance, the cameras, the cameras were technically there, but it was just sort of like a suspend your disbelief thing. Okay. So it was, it was very broad and the nature of the piece is a bit more intimate anyway. So um, it, it was just, just done, you know, pretty naturally uh, for the film actors. I think it just came to them really naturally um, for this piece. And then for theater, yeah, it was, it was a lot of like, okay, pretend you're in front of a, computer but the computer is this giant audience and you know it's but it's still intimate so you can go into that hmm. yeah i dig that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well theater is fun because people get so creative about making these things that don't exist exist well in the theater world yeah like if you see musicals and people are swimming and they've done cool things to make it look like the ocean and all kinds of neat things like that anyway so call of the void is a very yeah. interesting short film that we have today it's kind gosh how do we even set up the premise of this? Do you want to give it a stab? Well, Jack? it's you know it's uh it, it it's a story of ghosts and revenge and th- there's there's there is the call of the void, which Ooh. is something we're going to talk about. But I think there's also another mm-hmm. element of answering calls, and that's the 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 call of responsibility. I think responsibility oh, boom. is a huge theme in this. Jack. Script. Crumley laying it down. Yeah. He's just done now. Just rip that paper up and walk out the door. You're welcome. I'm done. That's a, that's a page drop. Uh, well, when this, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You hit it on the head. When the script opens up, we have one character, Genevieve, walking home from a party in college, and um, she gets attacked by a no gooder i don't i don't know how to say this a well, bad guy she's interacting yeah. with somebody who kind of tries to kidnap her and she kind of gets away and then when you think that she's trying <laughs> to get into the building she's not gotten <laughs> away and that's that she meets her end right there in the opening sequence yeah that's pretty yes. intense and very drew barrymore in scream very yes. drew barrymore in scream <laughs> yes 
And also, I really enjoy the way it's written where it's, I feel, I, the way I, at least I pictured it in my head is that whole opening bit is kind of a close-up on her face <laughs> that's just lit by her screen. And you don't, you don't see pretty much anything else other than maybe what's around her in the background, right? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it'll, it's one take all on her face, and you really don't see uh, the face of who she's interacting with yeah. at all. That's very scary. I thought that was a cool way to start <laughs> yeah. it. So then we meet Mila, who is uh, taking a job as the overnight desk person at a dorm on the same campus where Genevieve was killed. And working there overnight, she finds out about this girl who'd just gotten killed two weeks ago. And it sort of freaks her out. And then she meets one of the students in the dorm, Ruth, uh, who turns out was Genevieve's roommate. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of letting Ruth in late because Ruth is out late past curfew, but in their discussions, and Ruth is kind of able to negotiate with her. Hey, just, come on, let me in. Do me a favor. I'm an art student. I've been. I was stuck in the studio. And oh, an important element of this is that they're at um, a, like a Christian college or a yeah, there's a a, a yeah. very religious college where there are very st- strict parameters on the genders, and so the boys don't have a curfew, but the girls do. So over the course of Mila working at this front desk and getting to know a few people, she starts seeing this like little blue orb light that's floating off in the distance and it kind of calls to her and she has this hallucination oh, and moment. And their eyes dilate a lot. Eyes dilate and she's so like like gliding toward it and she's drawn to it and then there's this moment of where she'll slam her head into the window and then all of a sudden it didn't happen and it was all just sort of playing out in her head. She was being called toward the void and maybe pulled herself back at the last second. Freaky. Mm-hmm. And, and then, that, of course, that, that obviously ties into what happened to Genevieve in the beginning. And that's a pretty decent summary to get us going, right? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, first off, where did you write this script knowing the title ahead of time and then built a story around this phrase, the call of the void, Lapel de Vide, which is a very real psychological thing that's happened that happens to people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the, I came across that, uh, you know, uh, phenomenon. I started reading about it, Lapel de Vide and was like, Oh my God, that is so true. That happens to me all the time. And then uh, at this, I do just like writing horror drama in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very interesting thing. And the, um, just the idea of, uh, of listening to yourself, listening to your instincts, what, what your brain is telling you versus what's really happening. So that's where it kind of started off. Yeah. Man, I, let's just talk about this idea of Call of the Void mm-hmm. because I had never, ever heard of it you've never been like on a rooftop somewhere or on a ledge and as you're looking down just start to maybe think about boy it'd be so easy if i just stepped off right now. i mean honestly jack i think about this kind of stuff all the time That's it, and right i there. say all kinds of like i've always just thought it was the idea of just like imagining new things or just imagining things because i'll take one scenario and then take it further and further and further mm-hmm. in my mind until it's like terrible (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay but i didn't know that it was the this call of the void Mm -hmm. thing did you did you research into the history of this at all as you were writing this script uh oh into the call of the void no not too much i just um i just took the like title alone and kind of ran away with it but um i'm sure it's just kind of very i'm sure everybody has their own story you know 
their own experience with that kind of phenomenon. Yeah, for sure. Because it's that, it's that real sort of dark part of your brain that you don't really tap into all that often. But, but there, there, there's almost like a romantic element too, right? Where it's this, it's calling, like I, I do get the idea of it calling you and you thinking, yeah. I could just do this. It's right here. Mm-hmm. What do you think, uh, like, uh, I just am fascinated with this. Like, what do you think the um, the kickback is? Like, what is the benefit from a person for doing this? Like, is it testing boundaries? Is it acknowledging that they have the power to do whatever they want to do? Is that what it is? Maybe. I think it might have to do with, like, survival instincts, too, that your brain is, like, playing out a dangerous scenario in your head so that you can realize not to do that thing, mm. maybe. Mm-hmm. I could see that too. Well, how do you think it plays into the story we have here? Uh, well, there's there's this idea of like the bystander effect, right? Of kind of turning a blind eye to, um, you know, a dangerous thing or not wanting to get involved in something. And I think there's sort of a connection to that of, you know, in your mind playing out these dangerous scenarios and, um just kind of like dismissing it, you know, like, oh, that's fine. So it's it's an idea of just uh, recognizing and acknowledging um, what's happening. And if you are actually having dangerous thoughts to, um, you know, go seek help or, or take action on it uh, in, in a positive way mm-hmm. um, and not just kind of ignore it. Well, we do have our main character, Mila, who goes to, to, to talk to a therapist, the mm-hmm. on-campus therapist at some point in this because this has happened to her a couple of times where she's having these like fascinations with hurting herself and isn't sure what to do with those things. Well, and also as she's talking to the therapist, she relates the fact that she's been holding on to this guilt from when she was a kid. Like she was like five or six years old and heard a woman screaming off in the distance and didn't do anything about it at the time because she was a kid, but she's still holding on to that guilt. And like that sort of figures into more uh, feelings of guilt that this ghost is playing with as, as the story builds to its climax. So how did this ghostly element work into the script? My my thought was that there's plenty to work with with the idea of the call of the void mm. and somebody just wanting to like explore that in and of itself. So I'm interested in hearing how the ghost element relates as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think just uh, in general, I, it would be tough, you know, as like a feminist, it, it would be tough to write a story where you know, a girl is just killed and she never gets to, um, she never gets to have the final word or the final, you know, get to seek revenge, you know, in real life. So uh, I wanted to keep Genevieve as a character and not just use her as a prop um, mm-hmm. to be killed at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it was important that, you know, it, it is still like her story um, and that she gets the, uh, you know, revenge that she you know, maybe in real life, if you don't believe in ghosts, you wouldn't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so is that that's her as the the orb and and trying to set things into motion to try to get justice for herself. Yeah, yeah. And so, at, as uh, she's being killed, she is. She looks over and sees those like like campus police poles yeah. that have that blue light at the top, and yeah. if you run to it, it, it calls nine one one. So she sees that blue light and then um uses that imagery to entice these three characters mila um noah and of course officer phillips 
because of their own times in the past that they did not speak up and they were a bystander. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she uses the, the blue light to, to bring them to the story of her justice. To action, to responsibility, as Jack so mm-hmm. plainly brought up before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do we want to jump into a reading from the from the script? Yes, we should. Okay, so listeners, today we're going to be reading scene 18. And we have a special treat where our screenwriter, Heighton, will be reading part of this with us. She'll be doing all of the stage directions and actions for us. So um, I will be playing the character of Mila. Jack will be playing two characters, uh, Officer Phillips and Noah. And I told Jack to do a different voice when he gets to a different character, so yeah. we can judge him if we need to. That's fine, That's fine. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll be doing double duty over here, but go ahead and judge me. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine First I make fun of your clothes, <laughs> then I make fun I brought of your the performance. Clothing. I know. I didn't have to make fun of you. So getting into this part of the script, uh, so Genevieve is the girl who was killed in the beginning. We find out that her roommate, Ruth, uh, has been having uh, moments with the ghost as well. She's been possessed by it to the point where she jumped out of their dorm room window and now she's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. We've also met Officer Phillips, who is a campus security guard who's kind of been there from the minute that Mila started working as an overnight uh as an as a, as an overnight dorm front desk know. person, yeah, like the person who, and I totally remember this person. When you're going back to your dorm after hours, someone's got to check your IDs and let you in. Mm-hmm. That person, that it's the person who's got a ton of responsibility and is probably a college student who doesn't want to have that responsibility, but Seriously. also wants to maybe get a decent paycheck to be able to enjoy themselves at school. I think that the overnight front desk person at a dorm is a really really interesting job. That is a hard job. <laughs> They probably shouldn't let children do that job. Well, I mean, children's a weird term because we're talking about college students. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. not, maybe not children in the traditional sense, but maybe students as opposed to someone who has no affiliation with the school, which in this right. case Mila is. Yep. She's like 25, I think. Right. Anyway, so uh, you were laying out characters and where we are here. And now um, Officer Phillips has been just kind of getting to know Mila and he's back getting mm-hmm. to know her. And uh, Ruth has jumped off of the roof at this point. And we, we at this point, we know that Ruth has kind of had a thing for Phillips, right? Did we, we knew that already, didn't I we? I think so. Yeah, yeah. she, she is, she's yeah. explained it, that she there's this guy that she's sort of been following and come to find out it's this officer, Phillips. And, but she's just been kind of following him and having that dilated eye, possession, slack-jawed thing where she just looks through a window where he's at and stares at him for a yeah. while. Which is why she's been showing up to the dorm late. Mm-hmm. That's so creepy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that more or less sets us up where we're at. The other thing, Noah is Ruth's brother. And just before we're about to get into this scene, Noah realizes or it's communicated to him that the circumstances of why Ruth jumped out of the window aren't what he thought. That sounds good. Is there anything heightened that you think we should add before going into this reading? No, I think you guys set it up. Really well. Let's, uh, let's, we should do that then. Scene 18. Whenever uh, you're ready, Heighten, take it away. Page 25. Okay. Interior lobby night. The next night, past midnight. The campus is quiet. Maybe one student runs across the yard. In the girls' dorm lobby, Mila and Philip sit playing cards again. They are pretty flirtatious. So you get your degree in... Rent making. Right. And, and then what? Nothing? Yeah, a lot of nothing. No job offers, no commissions. I couldn't even get a job in retail. So I had to move back home and bunk with an ex, which was terrible. Oof. 
Yeah, but eventually I said, screw this. I got out of that situation, moved into my own place, and then got a call for this gig. I couldn't believe my luck. Well, I'm glad to hear that something good came of such a tragedy. Yeah. Ugh, I don't know how I'd live with myself if a girl was killed while I was on the job. Mm-hmm. Oh, ugh, not you, though. Not. It, it's fine. The night it happened was actually my night off. I was out of town. How'd he look when you busted his apartment? Phillips imitates a cowering, blubbering man with his hands up. Mm-hmm. Neela chuckles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Just then, Noah bursts into the lobby. Noah? Is everything okay? Sir, the dorms are closed at night. No boys allowed in here. Phillips, this is Noah Lee. He's the brother of the girl who... Jumped! She jumped. How do you know? She just told me. Once our parents fell asleep, and she looked so strange, saying that she's been haunted by her dorm room the past few weeks, and, 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 and a blue light coaxed her to jump. I have no idea what she was talking about, but I need to get into that dorm room. Maybe... See for myself what was tormenting my sister. Okay. I'm sorry. No, that is impossible. I'll go with you. I said no. That's prohibited. Then arrest me, Phillips, or do your job and come with us. Scene. Ooh, and this is the big buildup. This is the moment that tees up the Ooh. whole big finale. Ooh. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much to get into in this. Okay, let's see. Phillips, let's talk about Phillips. Let's talk about what a dirtbag Phillips is. Yes, there we go. Um, Hyden, tell us about Phillips. Where did he come from for you? Sure. Um, Phillips is uh, the main antagonist of the story. I wanted it to be, you know, kind of like a murder mystery, except the real question isn't so much like who killed this person or, you know, what was the motive of the murderer, but who bore witness to the murder and did nothing who who else is guilty in this scenario mm-hmm. and that's phillips the officer um so he's you know i i wanted the bystander to be uh conveyed as the main villain and so that's him he he did witness the murder and kept silent then found the murderer and kind of took took credit that he like uh i found him is the big hero yeah, yeah. right yeah, <laughs> that's me being him, being a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not, and not only like did he just stand by and not stop this girl from getting killed when he definitely saw it happening, but he saw it over the course of the fact that he was having an against-the-rules relationship with a student anyway. Yeah. Yes, yeah. There's um. This is sort of, uh, I wrote this, you know, when the Me Too movement was gaining traction, and there's just so many people that came out or it, it became revealed that uh, a lot of people knew what was going on but decided to stay silent mm. uh, either in fear or they thought that they could lose their job in the industry or something like that. So this is kind of like Philip's uh, pitiful response, too, was that he, he didn't want to get in trouble or have mm-hmm. it be revealed that he was having this weird college relationship. Right. Why is the setting of this all happening on a college particularly important to your story? Yeah, uh, I also had uh, my own like me too moment. Uh, and it was also it also took place during college and college is just a I mean, it's, it's a tricky time for everybody. You're you're learning your, uh, your new values, you're kind of setting your convictions. And um, I, a lot of people aren't kind of equipped to uh, deal with these really difficult um, things that happen. So I also found that, um, you know, when I was struggling, I thought a lot of my um, college peers, 
uh, all became bystanders and, and, and just didn't want to get involved and didn't want to talk about it and um, didn't want to interfere or didn't want to take sides. And so I think college is really important because uh, you, like, uh, <laughs> did you say earlier, like children, like college kids are kind of like children. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I think mean, that's fair. It's like their parents are have left them in charge and they run rampant in the house you know yeah absolutely so i think for that reason and i and it's still you know still a big issue today what what's going on on college campuses Mm, yeah and i think that be the the people that kept quiet in in your circumstance was it because there was like an authority figure involved no um i'm i don't think i'll ever really know the reason why Mm. um i think this person uh i think everyone just it just kind of shocked everyone and they were uh, uh, fearful of if, what would happen if they did stand up. And, um, and I, uh, truly I, I cannot speak for them cause I, I really don't know why, but um, I think it was just sort of a paralysis that comes over you. And then everyone just kind of like <laughs> went with their fear um, instead of like standing up in the face of adversity, you know, oh, that sucks. That that's really that that, that sucks, and the, yeah. in in this case, in the Scripps case, you know, uh, what I was going to say was when you're talking about how college is a time when people are trying to figure themselves out, and everything is kind of uh, malleable, and and you're you're figuring out where your own real boundaries are for the first time. When you're talking about people in positions of authority, like say a teacher or a campus officer, like this Phillips guy, that makes it all the more important why you can't mess with people that are trying to figure themselves out right now you're in a position of authority it's your responsibility to not take advantage of a terror of a situation like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i think um you, you know maybe you go from like a high school environment where you love your teachers and you trust them and then you go into a, a slightly bigger world and um it's just not always the case i mean you have to just i, I would say just question authority question what you know, um, question like, uh, you know, just don't, uh, I don't know how to phrase this, but yeah, like uh, anybody can be good and anybody can be bad yeah. regardless of yeah. authority. Yeah. Do you tend to write things that are feminist inspired? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, that, partly just because that's who I am. But I also like, um, I really, really enjoy horror, the genre. But, you know, historically speaking, it, it hasn't been uh, a very... Very kind to women. <laughs> ...genre on w- women, yeah. Mm. So it is, it is important to me, and it's fun for me um, to, you know, think about a new uh, world of horror screenwriting that is uh, predominantly written by women and, uh, and reflects, uh, you know, horrors and fears that women go through. So, mm-hmm. yes, definitely anything I uh, write I, I hope will only convey a feminist message. I think that's totally cool, and I'm I'm just doing a huge thumbs up here in Cincinnati for you yeah. right now. <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> I think there's a cool echo effect from the way the 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 script starts and the way it finishes. The way it starts, you've got uh, Genevieve on the walk through campus, and she and, and it's all sort of tight close up on her with just the light of her phone and it's middle of the night and it's dark and she ends up getting killed and the way the script ends with the ghost of Genevieve having gotten her revenge on Phillips his throat has been slit he's in a hospital room 
probably, I would imagine, at least the way I read it, fairly well lit and with people all around him. And he's being tortured now for the ghost is exacting an endless sort of revenge on him. And I, I thought that was a neat progression from the way it started to the way it finished. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just the final bit that, you know, she was calling for help right. and was ignored. And then the final scene, he's like trying to call out, but his uh, his vocal cords have been slit. So he will never have the opportunity to call for help mm. uh, ever again. And, and, and Mila specifically sees him in pain. She's walking by the hospital room and sees him in there and decides to keep on going and, and chooses to let him continue to suffer like that. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of like a fun uh, final image for me, like having him sort of be like this blubbering, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. and her triumphantly uh, (laughs) and decisively walking away from that. Right, because she did save his life. She stopped him. She stopped the bleeding around his throat. So, I mean, she kind of did her service, right? Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think she did uh, all that gave him more than what he deserved. Man. Man, I mean, this is so because intense. Because, of course, like, it. it would be hypocritical. You know, Phillips watches um, Genevieve die, and uh, Mila makes the decision not to mm-hmm. you know, fall into that same trap and let yeah. Phillips die. So mm-hmm. she does kind of rise above that and, and you know, helps him live. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of plays the, the two wrongs don't make a right card as the ghost of Genevieve exactly. is really going to town on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, listeners, the ghost of Genevieve is a real thing, and she comes back and Cool for us, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. Which you know because you're listening to the show now after having read uh, Heightened Script on scriptshopshow.com slash scripts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Heighton, did you end up going to a very strict religious college? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I, I actually went to more of a, a liberal mm-hmm. um, university, which was sort of a, a surprise because you think you everyone is more liberal-minded. Um but like I said, in my instance, uh, it wasn't the case. So the critique is not necessarily on religion or uh, as a whole, but, but I am familiar with a lot of institutions that do use, um, you know, religion as a silencer. Mm-hmm. So I did mm-hmm. want to put that in the script. Mm-hmm. Well, and if nothing else, too, it sets up uh, some plot points about curfew and why it's important that Ruth is showing up after midnight every night. It's a, it's a good conduit to get to, to some of the finer points of the story that you're looking to tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you thought about making this into a longer story? Uh, yeah, I I did sort of. Yeah, it is like thirty five pages. Um, I have thought about it as a full feature, and I thought I would start with just a more content rich short film yeah. instead of had I written it the first time around, it might have been more like a, a thinly, you know, might have been a pretty thin feature film. So I thought, all right, I'll just get the you know pack in all the juice in a more short film. Um, but at this point, now that I, I feel like I got a good grip on the whole story, I could see it uh, just diving deeper into mm-hmm. some of these, you know, motifs that are in the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully, definitely, maybe. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, and you're starting to have some mm-hmm. some things under your belt as far as having producing things. That I, I think you're you're on your way, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it is very, very fun to uh, see your script um, you know, now that we're in editing, see it all put together. So uh, I, I hope to get back into that very soon. Well, now there's the call of this script that's calling you to say, do more with yes. me. Blue light, yes. <laughs> Blue light, maybe a green light. It was studios. Yeah. El- I, I'm done. I'm done doing the cutesy stuff. That's Jack. it. 
Uh, Hayden, if there are people that have heard this and uh, want to get in touch with you and enjoy what you've read and want to read more of your stuff, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, great. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Hayden Davidson. So it's H-Y-T-E-N Davidson. And then, yeah, if you liked anything I said today and want to connect further, um, you can also go to my website, www.heightendavidson.com, and I have a contact page on the site. So uh, look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, because uh, this is a lady who's doing stuff and making stuff and continuing Crushing to make it things. in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So congratulations on all of your work. Best of luck with all of this, and thank you again for taking the time to sit here and talk about your work with us tonight. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. You guys are great. It was great talking to you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Well, that's Heighten. That was cool. Yeah, right? Heighten is awesome. Yeah. Crushing it. She's great. And you know, I, I think it's extremely appropriate that she's in Chicago because there's that that sort of vibe that Chicago has of being like a real scrappy. And we've talked about this with other Chicagoans, mm-hmm. being like a real blue collar, grinded Working, out. I'm going to do it myself type yeah, of place. I think that's very much the vibe. Yeah. Cincinnati's kind of like that, too. I think Cincinnati. I think maybe it's just sort of a Midwest thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I do love hearing, like, I like this take on horror that she has where she's making it of, of like, a feminist sci-fi horror thing. Um, and I think that's awesome to, to turn the genre and flip it and make it not work out the way it traditionally has worked out in the end in those movies. Well, I think, it, especially speaking about horror, the more you are diversifying the people that are telling stories in that world, the more things that people yeah. have to talk about that they're afraid of. Yeah, man, Like, truly. You're, you're changing what people's perception of fear is, and that's that's that expands, that just makes everything better for the genre. <gasps> that's terrifying. Yeah, right? We're afraid of all sorts <sighs> of stuff. Mm-hmm. I have never thought about that. Yeah. Okay. More stories to tell. Well, that's great. If you've got more stories to tell and you would like to submit them to scriptshopshow.com for us to bring you on the show and talk about them, we'd love that. So you can do that on Film Freeway or scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And you can connect with us on all sorts of forms of social media between Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We're all over it. Uh, look up Script Shop Show and you can find us there. And then also on Twitter, Allison is... Your bestie, Westy. And I am at Script Shop Jack. You can uh, friend and follow us on that too. Yep. Um, oh gosh. I don't... Sindependentfilmfest.org. Yeah, my brain just went blah. Also, uh, we're on Patreon. If you'd look to maybe throw a couple bucks our way, we would love that too. Check us all out. Again, anything you're on, if you search Script Shop Show, you can see where we are on that thing. Yeah, and we would love to talk with you. So thank you for listening, friends. Yes. And until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.